We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the Roar Podcast, y'all. How you doing? John Ellis, Billy Marshall. We are here, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods, and we're excited for another episode of the Roar Podcast. Been a minute with you guys, but we've got some major stuff to talk about. Frank Reich has built the mega staff of all mega staffs. We'll talk about Ajiro Evero on defense, Thomas Brown on offense. Hey, there's a Dom Caper sighting in the building. How about them apples? And Jim Caldwell. A host of others as well on this very talented staff. Now what's next? How do you put all the pieces together? What's next to quarterback? Billy and I break that down over the next hour here. Without further ado, I kick it to my co-host, Billy Marshall, for another episode of the Roar Podcast. Happy to announce that my co-host, John Ellis, has joined today as well. John, what's up? Hey, Billy Marshall and everybody out there, if you've noticed a little bit of positivity in my voice, you can tell that we're going to be doing what we call the Panthers coaching staff spectacular today. And uh, I would say that it's been a pretty uh, interesting hiring cycle on that front. I'd give it a pretty good grade. We'll walk through it uh, bit by bit here. But no, it's good to be back with you, man. Uh, It's been an interesting few weeks, and I'm glad to team up with you and break down what's going on up in Charlotte. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, certainly been a while since uh, you and I have done our podcast together, and uh, we did have a show kind of breaking down the hires of Ejiro Evero and Deuce Daly. Um, so those, those were great, were, by the way. I just were, wanted to mention to you a shout-out to you and, and Cody Alexander, Jeff Risden. Those were some of my favorites in terms of just catching up, especially with Cody. I mean, he just does a great job of making it digestible in terms of the scheme and, and what to look for here in the Fangio system, if you will. But no, those were great. But no, it's good to be back with you, man. Yeah, for sure. And just as a point of reference, um, we didn't get a chance to uh, do an interview on the other coaches, but we'll certainly circle back to them here. And, uh, you know, starting off, obviously, Evero, as I said in the last pod, I think this was a coup in some sorts for the organization just because of you know his acumen and what he was able to do with a broncos defense that uh, in my opinion played above their expectations especially when you consider how putrid their offense was at times uh, for them to play at an elite level i think it 
speaks to how well coached they were. And uh, I, I think another part of that is like the Denver defense certainly has some talented players, but uh, Sertan is probably like the only blue chip player on that defense. So it's not like they were, um, they had elite talent all over that defense. Right. Uh, right. Outside. Of, I mean, Justin Simmons is pretty good, but uh, like I said, I don't consider him to be like an elite safety. I think he's, like I said, very good safety, but you know, for Carolina to be able to lend uh, Ijaro Ivro was just an outstanding job by the organization. And I have to give credit where credit's due because, you know, we were critical of what they were um, attempting to do with interviewing defensive coordinators and they allowed Fangio to go to Miami. Um, but I think this is clearly a, in my opinion, this is a better hire just because of the fact that you know, he's young, he's shown he's capable uh, of leading a very good defense and turning it around. So um, I'll start off with your thoughts on him and we'll kind of circle back. Yeah, no, I think this is outstanding. Look, whenever you can get, and I, just, I want to make a broader statement to, to piggyback off what you talked about. Look, I, I think we always try to analyze, at least I do, what's going on in the moment based on the information we have. And in the last time you and I did a podcast, look, there was some interesting I, I wouldn't say it considerably positive information coming out about some things going on with the organization, maybe a little bit overcooked by some in the media, but maybe not in terms of hiring practices, in terms of the, the training that Nicole Tepper went through. But they got that cleaned up, and boy, did they come out swinging. And here's what I love. I, I, I have very little to be critical about today with this organization. Because for the better part of, you know, a couple of years now, look, in a very fair way, I've been very critical of this ownership group. And I think it comes down to the fact that, look, you come in and you try and experiment with Matt Rule. Um, I did give David Tepper some degree of credit on this podcast for making the move on Matt Rule when he did. Because it gave him an opportunity to work with Scott Fitter, I think. And I think it's fair to say that Scott had a pretty good hand in what happened here in terms of recruiting the head coach and then... What was fascinating to me was when you heard Frank Reich being introduced, he had talked about it, and even Tepper had talked about this. He made a point to say, we don't want guys to just want their buddies. You know, we want guys to be able to, as David Tepper has talked about, and now has been framed by Frank Reich in his press conference yesterday, diversity of thought. And I love the way they're framing that. The entire staff, Caldwell has talked about that. It's not just a diverse staff in terms of black, white, and you love to see that too. It's a great diversity of thought staff. You look at Evero, and I'll get to Frank Reich more in a little bit because I don't think we've talked much about him together on this pod. Mm-hmm. He's been through a great deal of experience, and this is what we had talked about, Billy, and I know you're very well versed on Jairo's past. He's been around some very good coaches from Jim Harbaugh, his early days in the NFL. Uh, he was around John Gruden as a defensive quality control coach back in the late 2000s. Go to the Green Bay Packers. You're around the McCarthy regime there as a defensive QC coach. And then, of course, some time with the Rams in terms of safeties coach, secondary pass game coordinator, and then the defensive coordinator for the Broncos. And I think you're right. I mean, look, I saw that Denver team play in person. I mean, we were six rows up. And again, you know, you can see the same things on TV, but you get a better sense, I think, of being in person of what a team is. That team was decimated, Billy, with injuries on defense. I mean, they really were. They traded away one of their best pass rushers. I think, like, Draymond in the middle, he's very good at three technique. He's a good defensive tackle. And they got Simmons, but they were decimated. And 
Evero, I thought, based on a number of factors, you mentioned the offense with Russell not cooking necessarily. <laughs> they were The defense was on the field a lot, and I think they made the yeah. most out of what they had. So I really am impressed by the fact that not only they hired a guy who has a great deal of experience in the NFL with a lot of different coaches and perspectives, and he's been an offensive and defensive assistant too. That gives you different perspective. But also the more important thing here is th- this guy was a bona fide head coaching candidate. And good on them for getting him in the door and getting a sense of what he's about. And they hit a home run. And I have a belief that some of that has to do with Frank Reich and some of that has to do with David Tepper spending. So hats off to everybody. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that when you're in a position like Carolina is and you have an owner who um, it's much discussed about how much capital he has, um, I think it's always good to use your advantages in subtle ways. And um, there is no salary cap for coaching salaries. That's so, true. Um, you can go above and beyond and, and pay whatever you want to these guys. Um, sometimes you're going to reset the market. I don't know what Sean Payton is making, but um, I think that paying for a staff of this magnitude I just think that's something you can take advantage of if you are an owner and you're looking to build um, one of the best coaching staffs in the league. And you and I discussed this like shortly after the season ended. And one thing I really appreciated what Brian Dable did in New York last year was that uh, he came in and he was very humble and he set all of his ego aside and he said i'm just going to hire the best guy for the job he's not going to go out and hire all of his buddies yeah. um, from all over the league he, of course there are some connections that you're going to want to hire and we'll get into some of those uh, mutual connections that frank reich has decided to lean upon and bring in here um but to me this is very similar to the approach the giants took and uh, i can just tell you firsthand that giants coaching staff it did a remarkable job. Brian Dable, one coach of the year, but um, I think he'd be the first one to tell you that you know that award isn't just for him; it's for all the coaches on that staff. And um, I see a very similar uh, you know, version happening here, not just with Evro, but Deuce Daly. I think, and the one thing I really like about Deuce is, and Frank Reich mentioned it yesterday as presser, is that. Um, we mentioned Frank Reich is a very like soft, he's not soft spoken, but he's just more, he's not going to a guy that's going to get in your face and just uh, bring the energy, especially when it's a 90 degree day in Spartanburg. He's, you know, offense is his acumen. He's, he needs the coaches on his staff to be able to really juice up the team. And yep. I think a guy like Staley is like the perfect uh, Yang for, for oh. lack of a better term of the yin and yang between the two. And he's the guy that can, um, you know, really just keep the team on track and make sure that he's holding players accountable. And, and there is that sense of like discipline coming. I'm not, again, I don't want to sit here and say you need a team full of authoritarians that are just yelling in your face. But um, I think that when you have guys like Caldwell and Reich, who are much more of the soft spoken, just kind of, uh, again, I don't want to call them laid back. I just think their approach to coaching isn't to kind of get in your face, but I do think you need that in an NFL locker room. Yeah, I think in terms of just style, I mean, you, you can we do draft comps all the time. Sometimes I'll do coaching comps. I, I think, you know, 
Reich has some of the Rivera in him, some of the stoic nature, but he's also got some fire in him, and he's not afraid, you know, in the locker room as we posted the clip on One Panther Place to, to get, you know, fired up and celebrate. But you're right, that's not his style. He's more cerebral. He's a quarterback by nature. Uh, hell, he played in the league for many years, was uh, instrumental with the Bills uh, championship uh, runs in the AFC back in the day, as we well know. That's been well documented. So I think this staff, I mean, just the Deuce Staley angle, I'll take that from here. I mean, look, he's a local guy in a way, played for South Carolina down here with the Gamecocks. But more importantly, I mean, you're right. He said in his press conference yesterday, and I love this sort of quote, and again, I'm paraphrasing, but Frank echoed what you just said. And he said, look, I'm not going to be necessarily the most rah-rah, physically in-your-face type of guy, but I'm demanding. But Deuce Staley, he called him the hammer. And I love that because you, you see some of the hard knock shows. You see some of the mic'd up stuff from the Philadelphia Eagles account when he was obviously an assistant there. Mm-hmm. And he also made the point, too, and I think it's important that, you know, messaging is so vital. I mean, again, I guess as a radio guy, as media guys, you and I might put a lot of stock into that. Maybe fans don't. But the way that was messaged yesterday by Frank Reich was ideal because you, you don't want to paint this picture of Deuce Staley being some Neanderthal just screaming at people. He made it real clear, look, he's my assistant head coach. He knows scheme. He will be instrumental in terms of not only the you know pass protection, the passing game, but mostly the running game and, and assisting whatever stable of running backs that are in the building here. And that's another dynamic conversation we need to have at some point. But I think it's a great hire because he brings that energy quotient you talked about. The guy has won a ring. Um, he, with the Pittsburgh Steelers back in 05. He had so many great games with the Eagles as a player. And then you got to look at the other connections, too. Playing under Andy Reid, playing under Bill Cowher, and then bringing that experience into the coaching world. I mean, I've talked with people like our good buddy Luther Broughton, who's been on the show. He was a tight end during that same time that Deuce Staley was a running back, and Biennemi was a part of that team as a running back. And Luther's talked about you know the things you can learn from that great staff. There was a dynamic staff in Philadelphia, Bill. Let me talk about John Harbaugh, Ron Rivera, Jim Johnson, Andy Reid, among others. And so that's what Deuce brings, just a wealth of experience. And that's what I see in Frank Reich, too. It's not just what you've done as a player, um, but it's also what you've done as a coach. And you can bring a lot of tangential and direct connections into that. So I agree with you. I think Deuce is going to be a great fit. And I I can't wait till training camp. I I think it's going to be some fun back and forth. Uh, between Deuce and, and you know, there's a few guys on that defensive staff, let's be honest, that like to run their mouth too, and we'll get to those guys. Uh, certainly a position that was intriguing uh, just because you don't know how the dynamic is going to go between Frank Wright calling plays, but the offensive coordinator role, and uh, there were a lot of names speculated, but ultimately uh, Carolina chose to hire Thomas Brown, uh, from the Rams. He's a former running back, played at the University of Georgia, uh, and he coached at South Carolina for a couple of years to the running backs. And before he went off to the Rams, spent some years on, under Sean McVay, won a Super Bowl with them. I uh, worked, obviously, with Evero, um, obviously, just for different sides of the ball. Uh, this is a guy who has been getting attention as a potential head coach candidate. Uh, He did interview for some offensive coordinator roles. I believe Tampa interviewed him. But with the dynamic as it currently stands, it appears that Reich will call plays. 
I'm never going to say it's a bad thing to hire a guy from the Sean McVay tree uh, to bring into your uh, building. Uh, And uh, I'm just going to be very fascinated to see how everything kind of meshes. You know, I don't anticipate, I mean, Frank Reich seems like a very uh, humble guy. He doesn't, he kind of checks his ego at the door. So I don't necessarily think there's going to be a, um, you know, dick measuring contest about who should call place and who shouldn't. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, we've had too much of that going on around here. If, if yeah, you know, yeah, you know what I mean. Hypothetically, I mean, I just, yeah, in terms of the, yeah, it's a great analogy because uh, you fire your OC in the middle of a bye week. Yeah, there's some of that. So let's just leave that at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I really like this hire just because, you know, Brown, he has experience with running backs too. Obviously, Coach Staley in the assistant head coach role, running back coach. Um, that's his forte. And, uh, and now you're bringing in a guy that worked under Deshaun McVay tree and he seems to have a lot of respect or at least attention uh, around the league. What are your thoughts on this hire? No, I think it's really a, a great hiring. You you go to a couple of people, and again, Joe Person had a really cool article in The Athletic about uh, Thomas Brown as it relates to his experience with Austin Corbett, the right guard for the Panthers, who was part of that championship team. And the you know, first thing I do when I, I see a coach that gets hired, is you, Twitter is such a, you know, it can be a bit of a hassle in terms of the way it's constructed now, and I'll leave that at that. But you just search Thomas Brown, go to videos, and you can see with any of these coaches, just some nice team-produced type of vignettes about, okay, this is Thomas Brown mic'd up, and you can get a sense of what kind of personality you're dealing with here. Um, it is interesting. Look, I, I think Frank had talked about it in the press conference yesterday, that, and he was delicate with it, and I get it. You know, I, I think all along I got the sense from people I talked to around the league that Frank was going to call the plays, and it was almost a non-starter if that was going to be a precondition from David Tepper that, hey, you got to hire an OC. And I think you lean on Frank Reich for that. I think it's a natural thing. You, as a head coach that has play-calling experience, I do believe Frank Reich is a man of integrity. I do believe he is going to be as honest as, as anybody who's ever been at that podium in terms of less coach speak, less bullshit, and more truth. And I think what he said yesterday rung true with me that, look, bringing him along into the fold in terms of playing calling and there's a number of ways to divide this up you've seen how Andy Reid has done this over the years with Biennemi and Matt Nagy and others it will be interesting to see um not just that Billy but and by the way I love Thomas Brown I love the fact that he's worked with tight ends I love the fact he's worked with running backs that's going to be beneficial to him the the play design versus the the play calling the implementation there's so much that goes into constructing an offense we're going to get some of the other names here on this staff, but I think the the one challenge here, and I think Frank Reich has talked about this, is making sure that you have all the right people in place that can work in harmony. And you've got a lot of guys together that have not worked with one another. That's going to happen. I think that's not the downside to this. It's the challenge of it. And I think it's a great challenge because it was, let's just face it, what happened last time around in 2020, it was very much the who-do-you-know system, and they bring in guys I know, and I get that. But when you come from the college ranks as sort of a middle-of-the-pack Big 12 coach, and let's just— And the one coach he didn't know, he threw him under the bus and fired him mid-season. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. So I understand bringing your guys in. I, Andy Reid has always talked about that. Every guy from the Andy Reid tree have always brought their guys in. The same for the Belichick guys. That hasn't worked out great, but it is what it is. But when you're bringing your guys in and they're college guys, it's much different than bringing your guys in. This is 
I will say this, on paper, it's the most impressive staff I've ever seen in team history. I mean, you, you got... Your franchise history, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're going all the way back to 95. Dom Capers is back in the building. And you know, Frankie talked about that being kind of sentimental, but also this is a football decision. You've got Jim Caldwell. That was like the cherry on top of all this, Billy. Josh McCown, who I know we both respect our friend Josh Norris, he's done some great podcasting and some video breakdowns with McCown. And McCown's got an interesting perspective, being a guy who's played in this league for nearly two decades, and he's getting into the coaching world now. So you've got sort of this, I would imagine, like a tree of coaches where it's Thomas Brown working in concert with Jim Caldwell, who, by the way, was the OC on an interim basis of the Baltimore team that made a run to the Super Bowl in 2012, who's been a head coach in the playoffs, who's been a head coach for Detroit, who barely goes to the playoffs ever, who's been a head coach in a Super Bowl. And you've got also Josh McCown waiting in the wings with Thomas Brown. And the one thing Frank Reich had talked about, I thought this was a very interesting comment. Somebody, I think it might have been Joe Person, asked him, hey, did you construct this staff in a way maybe thinking, okay, you know what, when you do have success, they'll come coming for your coordinators. And point blank, he said yes. Because that's what we've talked about so many times in the show, Billy. When you hire defensive coaches, if you have success on offense, what do they do? Look at the Bills. They come for your OC. And then you got to hit the reset. So I, I'm loving the way it's laid out. they got to go win games. They've got to find a quarterback. But in terms of Thomas Brown, I mean, like Jordan Rodriguez did some really cool reporting on him earlier this year. And I would encourage people to go look up her account. I think she retweeted some of it. Um, he's a fascinating guy. And he's a guy who's coached a lot of positions. He's been in a lot of big games. And again, that's what's vital here. Competency on that sideline. Guys who have been in not just a lot of games, Billy, but championship-level games. I love it. Yeah, and a lot of former players, like you said, whether it's uh, NFL players, I should say, James Kitman, Sean Jefferson, Josh McCown, Deuce Daly. Um, you know, D'Angelo Hall is another one who's played in the league. And they just signed him to a assistant defensive backs coach. But, you know, closing up shop here on offense, we've discussed James Kitman uh, at length, a good decision to retain him. Um, no mentioned brainer. Josh, yeah, mentioned Josh McCown and uh, McCown did has coached high school football. I know it's not the same, but he does have experience coaching. Yep. And you know he was up for the head coaching role in Houston uh, a couple times uh, until he decided to uh, until they decided to go in a different direction. But yeah, I, I think as far as coaching quarterbacks go, um, this is like the perfect support role. You want a veteran guy. Um, just helping the quarterbacks being in the same room as them and trying to, um, you know, bounce ideas off and, you know, helping them mechanically. The videos mm-hmm. I've seen from him uh, do a really good job of just breaking down quarterback play as a whole. And I think he's, um, you know, in a perfect position. He's not going to be elevated to, you know, a role that he uh, probably shouldn't be hired. I mean, maybe he can be a head coach down the line, but I think uh, that's a little premature. So quarterback, Coach is perfect. Uh, Parks Fraser, a guy that worked with Frank Reich in Indianapolis, was calling plays for them yeah. under Jeff Saturday. Uh, he returns as the passing game coordinator. Um, and uh, the guy they recently hired, they still don't have a tight ends coach yet. Uh, I'd imagine that will be concluded before the combine next week. But Sean Jefferson, uh, another former player, his son Van Jefferson, uh, won a Super Bowl with the Rams. Yeah. Um, and Sean is, uh, he's been around for quite a while. I remember when he was coaching the Titans and then he joined, 
the Dolphins with Adam Gase and followed him to New York, and then he went to Arizona with Kingsbury. Uh, yeah, you get a pretty good sense of just Sean Jefferson if you watch the in-season hard knocks with the Cardinals. He seems like yep. a very good guy. Yep. Um, you know, family guy who obviously was at the Super Bowl um, supporting his son and. Uh, he seems like he coaches them pretty well. I will say the Cardinals wide receivers did not play well. They just, when I watched the Cardinals on film last year, they just didn't really seem to play with a lot of effort. Yeah. Um, it was, there was a lot of that going on. And again, I don't want to know if I attribute it to, uh, coaching or just, I mean, that was a very veteran wide receiver group with AJ Green, Hopkins, Marquise Brown. Uh, and then eventually they signed Rob or traded for Anderson midway through the year. Uh, and so again, it, Jefferson seems to have a decent amount of just league wide respect and it's a wide receiver coach job. Uh, so I'm not too fussed with it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it seems like, like I said, I wanted watching hard knocks. He seems like he has a, a pretty good um, acumen for the position. So yeah, no uh, doubt. again, no, no qualms there. I, I think for me, the excitement really comes uh, from the ability to bring in Jim Caldwell, Thomas Brown, and, and even Josh McCown to some extent, I think, uh, you know, it just provides a lot of upside uh, when it comes to how they're going to develop the quarterback position. Um, and we'll get into that here in a second. Transitioning out over to defense, um, we've already mentioned Evero and Dom Capers has been a mentor of some sort to Evero, and I, I think that Dom would not have returned without um, Ejiro being here. So, um, you know, he's back in the building, and and I think a lot of the staff surrounding um, the defensive coordinator has. Uh, are guys that he's worked with in the past, whether yeah. it's Jonathan Cooley, who's now the secondary cornerbacks coach, Tim Lukabu, Peter Hansen, and Burt Watts. Um, uh, Todd Watts probably doesn't have the experience. I think they worked together in Tampa like yeah. 2008, 2009. Yeah, been a minute. Um, yeah and, and I think Todd Watts is probably a an ideal defensive line coach. I think just look at what he was able to do with Hutchinson and – uh, I mean, whatever, you, you developed number two overall pick. That's nothing to write home about. But I think what impressed me more about uh, what Wash was able to do was uh, kind of turning a guy like John Kaminsky, who is a very athletic player, came out a few years ago. Uh, he turned into a very good rotational edge, edge rusher. And James Houston was like an undrafted guy. Um, he was able to come in and have yeah. a really strong impact on the stretch. Well, and so, he's been a, he's been a coordinator too, which doesn't hurt. I mean, he was part of that 2017 yeah, Jacksonville team that you know I, know I didn't like their defense. I mean, they had really well, good talent. Yeah, it, I, I get it, but I'm, I'm just talking about from a perspective of hey, he's been in that role. I mean, whatever you think of that defense, he was a part of it in in a very important way. And I think that's what I like about this staff too. Is you know you've got guys like Wash, Capers, Evero. You got three guys on the defensive staff alone that have been coordinators before. So that's and one of them's been a head coach. Uh, so I, I mean I think there's something to that. But yeah, there were some ups and downs with that defense. They gave up a, a, a shit ton of points. I remember that in the playoffs. Um, how about well, not the- even then. I would think it's just a lot of again. I think that him as a defensive line coach is a an excellent place for yeah, him to be. That's and it, that's I think it. it's very difficult for defensive line coaches to turn into defensive coordinators. And with we've all due respect to here. Chris, 
Yeah. And with all due respect to Chris, um, you know, the guy in San Francisco, he's one of, he is, in my opinion, the best defensive line coach, but there is a reason why he isn't getting defensive coordinator roles. And I'm not sure if that's just his own ambition or not, but I, I think that when you come from like a background in the linebackers or in the secondary where you can see the entire defense, yep. I think those guys make the best defensive coordinators, but for Wash, I think he's one of the better defensive line coaches. Um, and that should really help this team. Yeah, I agree. And this is something, you know, we had talked about on a previous pod, and I know we had reached out to some people around the league we know, and this is not, you know, rocket science, but the game now, it's so important to have a real grasp on coverage concepts, to understand the passing game, and to have a coordinator that has viable experience on the second and third level coaching those guys is really important. Dom Capers, as we know, uh, comes from, you know, four-plus decades of coaching. He was the first coach ever for the Panthers. We all know that. But he brings a lot of different elements and ideas to the table there. He worked with Vic Fangio. Vic was the first defensive coordinator in Panthers history. They ran a lot of zone blitz scheme that they brought in from Pittsburgh. So, again, you see some of these things evolve. And they talked about, with the rest of the staff, just so I'm covering, Jonathan Cooley, secondary corners coach. D'Angelo Hall is in the building. I mean, that, that was like, okay, interesting. But he's got some energy apparently he wants to bring. Uh, Burt Watts, interesting guy that I've done some research on. He's undefined right now with his role, looks like, based on the team website, but he's going to be a defensive assistant. Uh, you mentioned Todd Wash, good defensive line coach, Tim Lakubu. And then Peter Hansen, who's you know obviously got some ties with Evero and Capers from their Denver days. He'll coach the linebackers. But the structure of the defense is going to be you know predicated, as Frank Reich talked about, and we had talked about this too, based on down-distance situations and sub-package, but you know they are going to be what we consider to be a 3-4 front, a 3-4 base. So interesting to see how they design that up in terms of the uh, the fronts there. There'll be a lot of different variations, I know, but uh, a lot for Todd Wash, Peter Hansen, but I would think also guys like, you know, let's just face it, Tim, the new outside linebackers coach, who will work with whom there? It'll be answered in training camp when we see these guys working with different uh, coaches out there, but it's a very diverse group in terms of diversity of thought, as they've talked about. And, uh, yeah, I just can't believe they got Evero. That, that was a great get. I mean, they could have gone a number of ways there, but uh, that that's the guy you want. Yeah, for sure. And special teams-wise, they retained Chris Tabor, which, again, I thought was a very uh, shrewd decision. Um, but overall, this staff, in my opinion, like you said, it's the best coaching staff from top to bottom that they've had um, ever. I don't yeah. think that's really hyperbole to say. I think the <laughs> most <laughs> most of the um, most of my justification from that comes with all due respect to some of the um, let's just say blandness of the previous regimes. I'm not going to get into who and what, um, but again, I just think that focusing on the present, this coaching staff has a lot to be excited for. But like Frank Reich said. 80 to 90% of the NFL is all about players yep. and 10% is about coaching. And I couldn't agree with that more. And as it stands right now, this team uh, has a very interesting, they, they find themselves in an inter- interesting position um, moving forward because the only quarterback under contract is Matt Corral. Um, I do think they have a pretty solid roster, but uh, one thing I just want people to keep in mind is as good as we thought the offensive line played last year, and I, I certainly don't see a drop off from them. One thing that does 
kind of hold weight is the health of them. I don't necessarily see all five of them being healthy for another 17 games. That's just, I mean, it's mathematically nearly impossible. Yeah. And Corbett is already, he tore his ACL the last game of the year. So there's yeah. no um, definitive timeline if he's going to be healthy by the start of the season. Um, so when I say that, I just want people to keep in mind that um, you know, offensive line, especially like at some parts of the off season, whether it's in free agency or portions of the draft, I wouldn't be shocked at all if they took one. Um, doesn't mean, you know, I, I mean, I, I do need depth at the offensive line. Let's just keep it clear. Like uh, the final game of the year, like it kind of gave you a good idea that uh, they were <laughs> offensive linemen were dropping like flies and they oh, couldn't boy. really protect. And then you had a quarterback who's obviously terrible under pressure and he just looked, um, terrible like he is but um we'll keep that for another day but anyway my point of being here john is it's a player's league and we can sit here and we can gush over this roster and it certainly has a lot of strengths um quarterback is going to be a point of discussion because i mean it's been three years well it's not been three years it's been 12 years since they've drafted a quarterback in the first round they've only drafted two quarterbacks in the first round since they became a franchise I mean, it, it, it's I, I, the, some of the arguments that I'm hearing, it's like people are scared to draft one. And I just, I don't understand it. Like, it, it, unfortunately, the NFL, it, it's a ruthless game. The Cardinals, they drafted Josh Rosen in the first round, and then the next year they drafted Kyler Murray. If you're quick to realize that you don't have a good quarterback, then you move on. And it's much easier to swallow that pill when you're yeah. in the draft. Yep. And so for me, I think it's a no-brainer to look for a quarterback on a rookie contract, especially in the first round. I am I just don't want to go through this Derek Carr experience, so with all due respect. I think mm. Carr is fine, but do you want to become, at best, at best, do you want to become the 2018 and 2022 Minnesota Vikings? One playoff one in five years? I don't want to be that. That's, that's what you're essentially signing up for when you get Derek Carr. You're going to be like you know, the Kirk Cousins Vikings. I, I don't... I personally have higher ambitions than just to get to the playoffs and win one game in five years. So other people, they might have their ideas. um, But if I look back and see how teams in the postseason did, I mean, those are homegrown quarterbacks. I feel like that's the best approach. I I think this staff is built to last. And I think when, when you have a team that puts up respectable numbers on either side of the ball there is always the risk that you're going to lose some coordinators and there's a very good chance as Frank Reich has alluded to that Thomas Brown and Evero and possibly others will be poached and certainly Dom Capers Jim Caldwell getting no younger so you want to try to capitalize on that as you can as you will but we've seen the value Billy in having a quarterback that doesn't necessarily go in the top 10 but that's where Carolina is Let's just think of Jalen Hurts working the system around the quarterback and now having a rookie deal to where you can work pieces into the mix with that guy. Now, obviously, they got some decisions to make in Philly, but you get the broader point here. You get a rookie quarterback on a rookie deal, and you have this much competency in the building in terms of quarterback development. Okay? You've got Jim Caldwell. You've got Frank Reich, who's been a quarterback's coach and an offensive coordinator and all the things you can think of, a former quarterback himself who has been through big moments, who can bring along a rookie. You have seen Indianapolis, and I get the sense from talking to people, this was not all Frank's fault that went on in Indy between Matt Ryan, Wentz, all this stuff, but some of it was on his hands. 
we've seen what's happened here in Carolina, and that was just Matt Rule spinning his wheels. And certainly Scott Fitterer was a part of that as well, but I get the sense that was mostly Matt Rule chasing the dragon in terms of trying to find a veteran quarterback that could fit in and win him some games and, you know, whatever. I feel much better about this team being prudent in terms of bringing in a veteran that doesn't cost them an arm and a leg and drafting a rookie quarterback. And if that means, and you know, look, I, I'm a Stroud guy right now. That's where I lean, but I'm going to probably just evaluate all these guys over the next month, and then I'll have an opinion as we get close to draft day. It's not going to be a hot take. It could be any number one of these guys. Levis, I think, would be the one guy I've talked to people around the league that they seem to have a little bit of doubts about. He's a tough guy, but he's also had some inconsistency. There's been some changes at coordinator, too. But I really like Stroud for what Frank Reich does. I think it's a great fit. And I think you now, without trading for Sean Payton, you at least have some capital to work with and potentially some players, Billy, on that roster. Don't rule that out either. That could be part of a deal to move up if they see fit to get him. I think that's the route you have to go. And Maybe even it's Anthony Richardson. Maybe they feel confident in developing him. But they've got to draft a quarterback, I think. I, I just think this is a decent enough draft in the first round to where you do it. And you know, look, if, it's, if it's Jacoby Brissett, I'd be fine with that for a year to bring him in if he needs to be developmental. But i got no problem with ripping the Band-Aid off, putting the rookie in day one, and saying, go get it. These are good quarterbacks in this draft in the first round. Are they all surefire? None of them are. You know how it is. I mean, we haven't seen surefire guys really ever, except for a Trevor Lawrence once in a while. But I think this is a competent enough class to where if you can get your hands on Stroud, maybe Richardson, I, uh, Levis I'm still up in the air on. Of course, Bryce Young I think is going to be really good if you can get his frame to where it needs to be. Um, yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you, man. I, the Derek Carr thing feels I, – I don't get the sense they're very interested. But to me, I just wouldn't do it. I just wouldn't. I would agree. Um, just given his Frank Reich's comments yesterday about them not even being done evaluating their own roster yet, yeah, and the fact that Carr is already taking visits um, to New Orleans and New York. I, again, I, I've just I don't I don't know where that stuff comes from. It could s- certainly be accurate. I I just wanted to like debunk the idea that drafting the wrong quarterback can set your franchise back. Like obviously like when i look at teams that have drafted the wrong quarterback whether it was the 49ers like yeah they drafted the wrong quarterback but at the same time they still had a very good infrastructure in place with their talent level right. and their coaching that they were able to uh, withstand that and did the Dolphins draft the wrong quarterback in 2020 i mean they i don't know probably I mean, <laughs> yeah l- but, let's... but still they were able to be a playoff contending team because the system works Exactly, and they made That's the playoff. I'm, I'm hoping like for this. I know this is different than the Shanahan system, but I'm hoping this collection of coaches and minds can bring us to a point to where you you bring up such a, a salient point here, Billy. To where okay, let's put a little trust in this staff to work a rookie quarterback that's drafted in the top ten into a starting role, and let's see how that works for once. We haven't done it in forever. It hasn't been since what 2011, where that's happened with Cam Newton, and before that was it Kerry Collins. And back yep. in the 96 draft. So 95, uh, I thought. 95, you're right. Yeah, that was his rookie year. Bianca Batuka was 96. That's some old names for you. And Dom Capers was the coach. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of doing it that way because, you know, I think this team, look, you've got some contracts coming up you're going to have to size up. you got to figure out what you're going to do with Shaq Thompson. I mean, there's talk about maybe that's going to be a cut. 
Um, yeah, Burns is going to have to get paid at some point. They're going to have to find an edge rusher, I think, opposite Burns. So you're going to go shell out, what, $40 million a year on Derek Carr? I mean, no thank you. Sorry, I'm just not there with it. I haven't seen enough. Here's the part. When I watch Carr on film, and I did some of this this week, he and I've heard guys like Kerwin talk about this, and I went back and sort of looked at the film. He doesn't run enough. He doesn't get out of the pocket enough. And he does, when he gets out of the pocket, it's a little bit like his brother used to do. It's unnecessary. Throws it away. Yeah, and, and he takes a lot of sacks. When he does, he fumbles a lot. He turns the ball over a lot with fumbles. And so there's some things to his game that are good, but not like, next level good so i think you know again there's a few quarterbacks that i really like like, and i I just car is just not it and i they're in rogers thing look just let's just shut up about that it's just not that's not happening here not happening it's not and it shouldn't happen that would be such a stupid thing to do after doing all this great i I don't see them bringing him into the locker room either given some of the stuff that would be a terrible (laughs) terrible fit four days of darkness no i mean look Um, great career carson Carson Palmer was on a podcast with his brother Jordan Palmer. Jordan trains a lot of the quarterbacks in the draft. He's training Will Levis, um, DTR, the UCLA quarterback, Max Duggan, uh, Clayton Toon, um, some others I probably am missing. And yeah. uh, the podcast was a couple of weeks ago. And Carson Palmer, if you remember, he was drafted number one overall in 2003. And yep. he said the biggest thing is you just have to throw the quarterback in there immediately. Like you don't have time anymore, like you did, um, you know, back in the 2000s to develop a guy. Like the Mahomes. Alex Smith thing is just extremely rare. Like you, like you can't do that in today's NFL. No. Like the Chiefs at that point, they were already a playoff team for three or four years, and Smith took them to the playoffs. The Carolina doesn't have Alex Smith on their roster now. Jacoby Brissett, I think, would be a very good step up, but are we going to get Jacoby Brissett? I don't think so. So that's why you just have to bite the bandaid and start them week one. I think I think there's a lot of truth to that. I think you need to make sure with Matt Corral being the only guy on the roster that you find, and this is what Cam had with Derek Anderson from day one. I mean, the, the I, I remember Derek Anderson covering Camp, and that was a weird offseason bill. That was a lockout. So they brought Anderson in really early on, and Jimmy Clausen was on that roster, and you know it was an interesting camp, to say the least, being there every day. But you need some type of competency at backup because you never know. I mean, look, not to replace the guy or you, you always need competition in camp. But in case, you know, if it's Stroud or Levis or whoever they draft, you know, goes down for a couple of games and you're a playoff ready team, backup quarterback is so important in this league. You got to have competency there. So that's where you continue to hear. And again, I I, I cringe for you when I hear this, but there there is probably some decent interest within that building and some people who do like Sam Darnold enough, Billy, that that is a possibility. I'm not advocating well, I'll say this. I'm not advocating it. I'm just saying that that is a real possibility that he could be back in the building in conjunction with drafting a quarterback. Um, I probably wouldn't go down that road. I think they've they've served their time with Sam. It's time to cut ties with that and move forward. But I can't speak for those who appear in that building to lean in that direction that, hey, not a bad option. I don't think it's a great option, but maybe I'm misinformed. I don't know. It's just what I hear. I mean, if if that if it's between Carr or Darnold, then fine. Whatever. You can bring back Sam Darnold. But what I don't want is him to be starting like half the year and then no. because it, let's just keep it real, John. Like this fan base, they're they're not gonna get excited about Sam Darnold. They just aren't. Nor should like, they. Exactly, and and again, you should not um, 
make roster decisions based on appeasing your fan base. But I think when it comes to quarterback, I think you certainly need to have some sense of just realizing that this road that you've gone down the past three years, it's not going to be able to energize a fan base. And again, we, me and you are, we keep up with the team on a daily basis yourself, probably more so you we can get excited about the coaching staff but on the outside it's a little tougher for people to care about the assistant head coach running backs coach and quarterbacks coach and all that right, stuff right i mean they see frank reich's name and they i'm sure it's going to generate some positivity but at the end of the day like reich said it comes down to the players 80 to 90 percent of the time and obviously when you're marketing a franchise the qb is a guy that really draws interest and let me just get back to something you said earlier like if you're gonna no quarterback in the draft is a sure thing like that stuff happens like once a decade maybe so you can't just be chasing like the caleb williams the trevor lawrence's the andrew lux um you know the cam Thank i mean you. cam newton was Thank a risk you. for all intents and purposes there, there were people he, this time last year were saying the same thing about this class coming up like oh just wait when, and last year's class obviously had some weaknesses, but oh, just I mean, wait. Kenny till, Pickett looks pretty good at the end of the year. I, I was gonna say, but people were saying, just wait till next year. Look how great it's gonna look. And now people are starting the doubting game, and people are saying, well, wait till next year. It happens every goddamn year, Billy. And this and, roster, John, it's not good enough. Well, it's not bad enough to potentially tank for one of those two. And no, and I don't want any part of that. No, it's time to step up and, and win some damn games. The division's ripe for the taking. I mean, it, it is, and and I guess my just my whole point here is that it, it's like you give a quarterback two a rookie quarterback two years. It, that should give you a good sense of whether he is it or isn't it. And I think that you just have to trust your um, development, trust your scouts. Like this, I'm telling you right now, John. If they sign Derek Carr and if they sign Sam Darnold, then don't bring in a rookie QB, particularly in the first round. Okay, if they don't sign up, if they do that, I'm going scorched earth because I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm tired of it. Like, it. I'll be frank with you, like, they have to figure it out because there are four very capable quarterbacks in the first round, in my opinion. Now, their opinion can differ, but as we've seen, um, their opinion when it comes to the quarterback position doesn't really hold much water. Um, even Frank Reich, who vouched very heavily for Carson Wentz. He isn't by any means an oracle when it comes to this. Um, the only reason, I'm, again, I'm not suggesting that I know more than they do. I don't. Um, but what I am suggesting is that this method that they've been going through, both sides, whether it's the organization and Frank yeah. Reich, the retread veteran route, I just think it needs to end. And and I'm calling it right now. If they sign Derek Carr, I can guarantee you they will not be drafting a quarterback in any round of the draft. Maybe in day three, but I am. They can go to as many pro days as they want no, to. They, it would... they can send the owners' kids and their <laughs> friends of kids and all these people to these pro, quarterback pro days. But if you sign Derek Carr, that's I don't care who you send. I'm guaranteeing that they will not draft a quarterback in the first round. So I'm I'm looking at this, you know, just in terms of what's available there in the first round. I, mean, I believe I've got this order right. Chicago has the first overall pick, and and I think we can 
look, my sense is relax on the Justin Fields talk, too, because I don't think they're going to trade Justin Fields away to anybody, nor should they. Um, that's just my two cents about it. Maybe other people disagree. So I'm going to assume Chicago keeps that first overall pick and goes defense. Probably Carter, maybe Anderson. Who knows? And then there's Houston, and they need a quarterback, obviously, so they'll probably take Bryce Young unless they decide to be totally insane and trade back. Jalen Carter or Anderson, maybe to Arizona or Kyler. I mean, I know he's hurt, but, you know, obviously that's the guy they signed for $200 million. And then it gets interesting because now Indianapolis enters the chat and they're at fourth overall, and you'd have to think that that's either Levis or Stroud. And so to me, like the Seattle at five, if you're going to deal up, I mean, I, I it's going to be interesting to see what they're able to do, how far up they can deal and who they can deal with. Is it Arizona at three? Do, do they leapfrog Indianapolis and, and you know give away some draft capital? Is it that important to them? And that's what's fascinating about having guys like McCown, Caldwell, Reich, um, obviously Thomas Brown, all these guys in the building studying quarterbacks together. I feel more confident going around this time because you have that and then you have, I think, Fitterer gets an honest assessment now, and we've been tough on him when it requires it, but now he and his staff get an honest chance to work with an NFL bona fide staff in their evaluation process, and we're not drafting long snappers in the sixth round when we don't need one, by the way. Congratulations, J.J. Jansen, re-signed for another year. That's always good, playing into his 40s. He'll now play for his fourth different Panthers coach, Billy. That's amazing. But I just think it's interesting to look at the draft order because this is a really dynamic sort of fluid situation. A lot of teams need quarterback in that top 10. And, you know, obviously Carolina, yeah, would you have, like to have lost a few more games last year. We can redebate that all day long, but they are where they are at nine. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, do you have any opinions early on about Levis and Richardson? I know, you know, we talked about Stroud and Young, but where are you at with those guys, if anywhere at all, right now? Um, sure. Let's just, again, let me just keep this in perspective for everyone. Um, you know, I've prematurely watched all of them i've spent a lot of time watching will levis bryce young i, I spent during the season same with stroud i spent um a lot of time watching them during the season as far as bryce young is concerned um he reminds me very closely of a former clemson quarterback um deshaun watson just from the mm-hmm. ability his ability to just stay in the pocket and you know throw it with anticipation and he hits all levels of the field now the size is a completely valid concern. And one thing that I've noticed, especially with shorter quarterbacks, and I noticed this when Kyler was at Oklahoma, and some people were praising Kyler's ability to stay patient in the pocket. And I'm not suggesting that isn't or, is it, or isn't a good trait, but um, my main takeaway from that was that's how teams are defending these shorter quarterbacks. They're not necessarily rushing them to rush. They're doing it to contain and, uh, eliminate certain um, throwing lanes so they can throw their hands up and bat the balls away. Uh, but I think what Young does particularly well and maybe better than Kyler is just he moves in the pocket to find throwing lanes much more efficiently. Uh, it's almost just effortless to, in his feel uh, in the pocket is elite, in my opinion. Again, yeah. yeah, it's going to be difficult to construct an offense that operates under center with him, though. You have to be in the shotgun 80 to 90% of the time, particularly on passing downs. Uh, so that might limit a lot of what you're um, you know, looking for. And, and, and look, th- there was something going on about how Frank Reich has only coached quarterbacks over six foot 
you know, three, I don't buy into any of that. It's such a, it's such a small sample that I don't necessarily think that he was looking one way or the other. Like, give me the other options that he was looking for during that time. And maybe I can buy into the argument that he wants a quarterback that's right, right. a certain height. Um, you know, as far as CJ Stroud is concerned, I was talking to someone today. I think he reminds me a lot of uh, a Geno Smith, uh, Jared Goff type quarterback. I yep. think he's much more mobile than both of those guys. But, uh, as, you know, as far as the arm strength goes, I think it's certainly on par with Geno Smith. I think he hits all levels of the field. The game against Georgia certainly very accurate. Very accurate yeah, guy. He, he's extremely accurate, and I think just playing in that Ryan Day system, it has a. It's not similar to Sean McVay's system, um, but it's similar in the sense that if you throw the ball where you're supposed to in the landmarks of where the receiver is, then nine times out of ten you'll get a completion. And I think uh, the difficulty for scouts and coaches when they evaluate him is how does he do in second reaction plays when that isn't available to him? Right. I thought he did an outstanding job against Georgia to uh, silence a lot of those critics when it came to how he does in second yeah. reaction. He made a lot his, of money with that tape. <laughs> yeah, his ability to go from you know read a full progression. Uh, and Richardson, I, I think he's he, has, he offers enormous upside. And there's just going to be a lot of questions questions about you know his mental makeup and you know Todd McShay referenced that people in the Florida program wanted to see more of the alpha personality out of him and mm. really just carry the team on his back. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think that the guy is just a ridiculous athlete. I think he has the best arm, at least arm strength. It's the best. And I think he throws with a lot better touch than people give him credit for Matt Waldman and Derek Klassen, two guys who study quarterbacks very well. They said he has tremendous pocket movement and it's very underrated for a guy who is as raw as he is. If you watch some of JT O'Sullivan's videos, he pointed out that uh, a lot of his issues currently are accuracy, which probably can be taught the footwork and just the timing. Um, but he does a really good job of anticipating and he just doesn't throw with accuracy. So that's, yeah. that's going to be something that teams have to really work with him and figure out. They have to ask him that they have to ask him, what are your weaknesses? What do you need to work on? And, it just comes down to it a lot of the time. And I, and I say this for quarterbacks too. Um, film is just one part of it. Like a lot of the information that goes into quarterback scouting, it comes from uh, the intangibles and the interviews, how they test at what their mental makeup is, yep. like how they respond to, you know, adversity, the toughness angle. Uh, that's, that's the sort of stuff that we're not privy to. We're privy to just the tape. And for most of the positions, whether you're scouting an offensive lineman, a wide receiver, an edge rusher, a linebacker, you know, the tape is all that really matters and maybe the athleticism too. But uh, for quarterbacks, I, I think that you really have to dig deep and, um, and that's, you know, the, information that the scouting staff and the organizations have because they, they're million billion dollar organizations you and i are just uh, uh a couple bloggers <laughs> and podcasters couple, yeah, just film watching junkies, just a couple just a couple jabronis is <laughs> but say. um but i mean we, look we take at least at least seriously. you and i have all 22 film now we don't have to we, rely on just youtube scouting uh, thank god yeah you know we, we got tape and and you know Billy more than Billy's kind of like the draft guy of this show. I mean, you've always been at the forefront of that. I I tend to be. I guess I'm I'm the pro personnel director of the Roar Podcast. You're the college scouting director because I turn to you for a lot more of these sort of comparisons and scouting reports on what we're looking at here. And obviously, as we progress through the 
next month or so, we're going to get a better sense of what we're looking at. But obviously, the hot takes are just outrageous and stupid. You see a lot of bad accounts out there. Not not the mainstream guys, but just like, I, I don't know, I'm not going to name, you know, the accounts I'm talking about. That, oh, the, the rumor is uh, so-and-so. Just ignore some of the noise. We don't know about Will Levis yet. I, hell, I have no idea. It's February be. 22nd, folks. Yes, I have no idea what Will Levis is going to be. I do know that our good friend Ellis Williams reported a couple months ago that David Tepper likes Will Levis. So I, David Tepper also liked Justin Fields. So he did, and you know that. Yeah, it's interesting. So maybe so Tepper probably you know making some trades in his office down in Fort Lauderdale, <laughs> Miami, wherever, and he's. You know, turn on the YouTube hey, to watch some Levis and Justin that's, Fields. That's it, baby. <laughs> that's it. Um, but no, I, and I think the thing is with Levis is 2021 was certainly better than 2022. But I just think there's a lot of context that gets missed when people are discussing. And they just think, oh, he's terrible. Look at the numbers. And the numbers aren't even like that it's absurd. Not a, it's not that big it, of a it's, deal. It's not good. How, a, a lot of these guys have had bad numbers and they translate well to the pros, too. You can't always just look at the numbers. Um, yeah. And, and again, l- let me just be clear with Levis. I think that, you know, he operated in NFL offense at Kentucky the last two years. He has experience with under center and, you know, he transferred. Let me just be clear. He transferred from Penn state because James Franklin and that offense over there were using him like a Taysom Hill type of um, quarterback. They were just using him to run between the tackles and the occasional throw. They weren't necessarily asking him to drop back. Now, as a result, Penn State, they fired two offensive coordinators later and they landed on Mike Yurchik, who's a very talented offensive guy. And I think that if he stayed with Levis uh, at the time, he we probably could still be talking about a guy who overtook Sean Clifford. Um, but, you know, especially in college, like I don't necessarily pay attention to you know, this guy's starting over this guy and he had to transfer. I, I don't care about that, especially in this new day and age where a lot of players are transferring because of not only just playing time, but also NIL opportunities. I really can care less. Like, I mean, again, we, we saw Mike or Russell Wilson having to transfer from NC State because Mike Lennon was going to be a starter. We saw Joe Burrow uh, was behind Dwayne Haskins and JT Barrett on the depth chart. And he had to transfer to LSU and uh, there's just so many exa- Jalen Hurts transferred um, to Oklahoma. Now, again, those guys certainly had better college careers. Uh, but for me, with Levis, is this I think that you can't ignore all of the issues. And I think those are issues that I think he would be better to explain in an interview room where we've seen these combine videos and, you know, they're going through, coaches are going through with players like, what did you see here? What did you see there? I don't know the play calls. Like I don't know what he's seeing. Like if a running receiver is running the wrong route or something. What I do know is that he had a new offensive system. Coach Vass, a guy that you and I both know, said uh, Rich Scangarello, his previous offensive coordinator, is uh, not someone that any team should or any player should have to go yeah, through and work yeah, with. Made that pretty so, clear. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. I'll have more on the QB valuations as we go through, but. Yeah. Uh, just a quick, some quick player comps for you. I, I think again, um, a lot of people don't like making the Steph Curry comparison to Bryce Young. I have no issue with it. I, I don't compare him to that. I think he's a lot similar to Watson at Clemson, except shorter. I think CJ Stroud reminds me of uh, Geno Smith and Anthony Richardson has obviously Josh Allen upside. Uh, I don't think you can just 
dismiss that at all. And and I think that Levis is, um, you know, he he's similar, at least his upside, in my opinion, is very similar to Justin Herbert. Um, there are a lot of people questioning Justin Herbert and the scheme and the offense that he was around at Oregon. Um, and he's turned out to be a very good pro. So long process, John. Um we're going to touch all parts of the draft as we get into it, as you know, the, we get into this off season. Um, but let's just say again, the Caleb Williams, the Trevor Lawrence the Andrew Lux. Yeah. Those guys come around once a decade yep. and the jets tried to tank for Trevor Lawrence and they didn't get lucky. Nope. So the idea that you can just go out and wait for that guy it's it's not easy. I think these four quarterbacks have upside, and they all have their strengths and weaknesses. None of them are perfect by any means. But Jalen Hurts was a very flawed prospect, and there is no better example of QB development than him. Um, there's again Kenny Pickett, a guy like we were a lot of people clowning. Oh, he has small hands. How is he going to fit yeah, in Pittsburgh? Right. I mean, he was a game away from leading them to the playoffs, yeah, and he was a rookie the QB. Fit, the fit is what matters. I mean, I, so that's a big part of it. Yeah, the player has to be. I good couldn't agree that. more. But the fit is what matters, and I think what we got going on in Carolina, you've got a lot of good options there in terms of fit. With that said, we're we're an hour into this bill. We're going to wrap it up. Any final thoughts as we go into another exciting week of looking at what's ahead for the Panthers? Yeah, nothing here. Um, yeah, big, be sure to follow uh, John on Twitter at number one Panther Place and myself at Billy M underscore ninety one. The combines next week. I love the combine. I love watching the athletic testing and just getting a sense of which players are athletes and which aren't. Um, I think that's very important in today's game, and I'm sure we'll hear plenty of news. You know, as the combine ramps up, ramps up, and a lot of free agency stuff that occurs in Indianapolis as well. No doubt about it. Uh, for Billy Marshall, I'm John Ellis. Hope you've enjoyed this coaching <laughs> spectacular, as we call it here, on Blue Wire. We'll be back with you here soon to give you some more updates on the draft, the combine, and some free agency news as it progresses. Thank you all for listening.